Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. And uh, today, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit about some of the retreat experience in terms of the teaching and share a little bit of the uh, writings from two, um, two Theravada nuns, Aya Anna Bodhi and Aya Santa Chita, and if I did not say their names correctly, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, Casey and I, when we were working on the content for the retreat, both realized together or um, wanted to really rein in that um, mindfulness practice needs kindness. It's not just enough to be aware. There has to be an awareness that's warm and interested and not judgmental, that we really need the heart in mindfulness, not just the mind. And in the Paul, there's the Pali word chitta, which is a reflection of that. It's the condition of your mind and your heart and emotions combined. So mindfulness really has to have heart practice in it. And for that reason, we focused quite a bit on uh, loving kindness metta practice in the divine abodes and compassion, karuna. And we really tried to integrate it into the mindfulness practice as a way to support how difficult it is to bring your awareness in the moment internally to know what's going on. It's not an easy thing, as it was said here. It can be very challenging. And the Buddha knew this too. And the story goes, the way loving-kindness metta practice began was uh, the Buddha sent his devotees, the nuns, and the monks into the forest to sit alone and practice mindfully among the trees in the forest. And the story goes, and it's a parable, that they all went out into the forest and they came running back after a few days because they were confronted with demons who threatened them. And that's when he gave them uh, metta practice, a formal practice of loving-kindness. The way we understand it today, and the practice was formalized 300 years after his death, is that we repeat loving-kindness phrases. It's a repetition of phrases. But it's not just the repetition of phrases. It's really a felt sense. in. It's an embodied felt sense of love in the heart. And so it can you can radiate metta without words just by a felt sense of feeling and sending it out. And you do that very naturally when you see a baby or a puppy, right? Uh, you don't even think about it. You go, ah, and the heart just goes, ah, right? So everybody knows what that is, that felt sense of sending love out. Um, or you are walking in the street and you see someone fall. And the first thing most of us do is we reach out to help. You know, we feel this empathy for them. May I help you? So, so metta, loving kindness, karuna, compassion, it's uh, in there already. It's not something we have to acquire. 
but it gets covered up by uh, our defensive system or the hindrances or life experience. It gets so clouded and covered up, we can't touch it. And that's what this practice is about. So going back to the story of the demons, this is a metaphor for the demons inside you, right? We have to work with those demons in mindfulness practice. And I can name a few. We all have our personal demons, but there are three that I could identify fairly quickly, and probably you will too. And one is a, an evaluative mind that our minds are, we walk around and we naturally have an inner commentary. It's like we've got a second grade teacher or a fourth grade teacher grading papers all the time. You know, I like this, I don't like it, I don't like what she said, I, I like what he said, he's right, she's wrong, this muffin is great, this muffin wasn't worth $4.50 or whatever, right? It goes on and on. Why isn't there parking? Oh, there's parking, right? It, it, it's constant mind chatter that evaluates ourselves and others. And um, it's so, I want to say the word florid, and I don't know if that's the right word, but it's so ever-present. We're almost losing our body. We're just up in our head evaluating. So that's one demon. That's one demon right there. The second one is our habit of uh, feeling deficient and less than and self-criticism, harsh judgment, not enough. Uh, this internal harsh inner critic that makes us feel deficient and small and just it just speaks out of nowhere and we give it a lot of power. There's another demon, right? And the loving-kindness phrases directly work that inner demon, directly, because we're told to say, you know, may I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be free of suffering. And uh, for those of you who have tried that, it's like that self-critic, inner critic meets that wave of, it's hard. It's a very hard thing to do. We're really confronting that deep-rooted pattern of self-contempt and self-alienation. It's a big thing, right? And um, <clears throat> I would say another demon that's just based on the brain working, right? That's just the brain thing is we're looking, we're risk assessors. We're always looking for the next problem to solve or a threat of some kind. Uh, and that's why many of us have a lot of anxiety. We walk around with anxiety and fear. So this practice of metta is a very deep, profound practice that can change the whole shape of the body and the mind if practiced regularly. And you can practice it formally, sitting on the cushion. You could practice it in walking meditation. You could practice it day and night, formally and informally you can radiate with it. And I wanted to um, talk today on um, these, uh, the writings of these nuns on Metta I thought was very beautiful and talk to you a little bit about it. Who here has a loving kindness practice that they're doing regularly? A lot of you do. Okay, so what works for you? Let's check in with you. What do you notice works for you? What feels right for you? Does anybody want to share on that? 
Yes. Application, as far as action goes, because <coughs> energy is amplified when you uh, actually do something that's in your heart, as mm -hmm. opposed to thinking about it, speaking about it, and then accept. So if you actually do something kind for somebody on a daily basis, it really creates a shift within you that's still happening. Yeah, there's a beautiful saying that um, we reach out to metta and loving kindness as a practice. We reach out and we create that practice for ourselves. And then at a certain point, that practice of loving kindness reaches to us. We don't really have to do it. It's just there in the body-mind. And it's holding and supporting us through, uh, through difficult things. Anybody else who has metta? Yes. So when I'm sitting and I notice what sort of negative things are coming up, that I tailor my meta phrases to may I be free of that particular thing. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Anybody else yeah. want to share what they do? Rick? I like connecting with experience. You know, the, the helpful phrases, experiences that have, you know, embodied those things. So I have something that I can connect in my body with what I feel with what may I be happy may I be well, those things are and then I can connect to emanate those to others <coughs> yeah I do one that's um, it's a meta practice but it's 20 minutes like for yourself and a lot of it is sort of like what would you say to a good friend getting yourself to see yourself through those eyes for a problem yeah. great anybody else Yes. Yeah, just initially when I started to do meta, or we worked with that a couple of years ago, it was sort of felt very fake, but over time it was sort of like a little like knocking on my heart, you know, mm -hmm. waking it up. And as I kept doing it, it really, I could feel more of a connection with the body and actually the intention behind it. So it takes a little time, at least personally for me mm -hmm. it did, but um, it did, I, I have noticed personally results from the connection of actually doing it and feeling it. So. Yes, thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah, there's a saying um, in Judaism, and I'm going to not get it directly. There are phrases of loving kindness in Judaism, and probably in Christianity and in, um, the, in all religions, I'm sure, that this is universal. Um, and maybe that would be a great study. But in Judaism, they say you drop the phrases on the heart. And someone asked the rabbi, why do you say on the heart instead of in the heart? And the rabbi answered, um, it takes time to, for things to get in the heart. We gently drop them on. And then when it drops in, it drops in. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Anne, that it does take time. Some of the difficulty in teaching metta is um, what we do is we're very good learners, so we'll repeat the phrases. You know, may I be safe and happy, may you be safe and happy, may you be well, may I be well. And it's just up here. You know, it's like learning um, how a machine works, you know. And um, as Anne mentioned, it has to come down in the body. And there's a real difference between. Um, between uh, some my me or you mentally saying may you be safe and happy in, and pausing dropping down and feeling the heart and saying safe happy may you be safe happy and really feeling that in the body 
It's very different, yeah? And that's really what the Buddha is asking us to do, to embody kindness, to embody it. And I'll, I'll read a little bit uh, from the nuns. And um, I recently had an experience of the power of metta, a little bit by accident. I, I shared this on the retreat, but it was this pause, this significant moment to understand the power of the practice. And uh, I took a new position two years ago where I work. And um, before I got in the office to start, there was this um, thought process. Well, you know, I can't generate more funds, and I can't change the structure, and I can't stop the suffering. It's a psychiatry clinic, right? I can't stop the suffering, and I can't change management. Um, and I'm not a billionaire, <laughs> so I can't pour money on it, right? I can't, there's a lot of things I can't do. But the one thing I can do is practice loving kindness with everyone in that clinic unconditionally every day. I can do that. I won't do it perfectly, that's for sure. But I can set an intention. I can take that aim to, make, to do that every day. And so I remember two years ago when I put my hand on the door of that clinic for the first day of work, the intention was there, unconditional loving kindness to every being in that clinic. Whether I like them, not like them, they're irritating, unirritating, they're getting metta. We're doing metta. Because that's what this body-mind can do. Two years have passed, I didn't think about it, but I've been practicing that some days more efficiently than others. Some days I failed. You know, there were moments of failure, but consistently remembering that every being in that clinic is worthy of loving kindness and it can be freely given. Right? It can be freely given. And to keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And then I stopped thinking about it. It became something that I do. Something that gets done, because it's in the body and mind. It's become a habit. Um, I'm walking around with it. Right before the retreat, <clears throat> excuse me, I was having a conversation with a coworker, and we closed the door, and she said something like, well, I know you, you like so-and-so, but, <laughs> right? That conversation. <laughs> I used to love those conversations, you know? Um, I was a lover of gossip and things like that. To tell you the truth, my family likes to do things like that. Some of our family <laughs> systems, you create little wars with each other, and it's real fun to call up one family member and talk about the uh, put down another family member. I mean, families love that, um, unfortunately, sadly. Nations, you know, um, ethnic groups, uh, race, right? It, this permeates everywhere, and it's a very <coughs> negative phenomenon that, right? So, so she said that, I know you like so-and-so, but, and this flash occurred out of nowhere, you know, for this, like, light bulb went off. I haven't been liking or not liking for two years. <laughs> it didn't occur to me to like somebody or not like somebody. It really didn't. I, I had set this mind to do metta without condition. And guess what? Uh, I became free of a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. 
without realizing it. A lot of that comparing and analyzing just left because I had nothing to compare or analyze. In that moment, it just struck me so hard, like the power of that metta to relieve my own suffering. And maybe it's relieved the suffering of others, but so much left. And I, I know what came in its place was an appreciation for how hard it is to work in some environments, most environments. I, you know, some of you are teachers, some of you, you know, all the environments we work in, they're not that easy, <laughs> you know, most of the time, right? And I think what came was just this, this softening around the difficulties that we all bring on a daily basis to the work we do. So there's more of an appreciating going on. Um, and again, I want to say it was not perfect at all. I was not doing it 100% at all. But the power of that moment was just stunning. So I'm going to read you a little bit about some of her comments. Um, so here are some things she mentioned about <clears throat> the practice of metta. Um, she says, um, for many of us, what gets us started on the path, either mindfulness, meditation, or Buddhism, is dukkha, suffering. A good doorway to any practice is some difficulty you faced in your life, some suffering. That gets you in the door and on the cushion, right? I think so, right? And I can remember all of the little and big tragedies that brought me to the cushion. So she says, the heart gets knocked around, trodden on, disappointed, and even broken. And um, this is where metta comes in, is a restoration of the heart. And she said, I saw that I had been living from a very small sense of self. Um, there were some good aspirations, but my heart was shut down in many places. And my sense of self was so contracted and hard. And it was preventing the love from getting in. And that's you know, the state sometimes, when our demons are up, the love can't get in. You know, the nourishment and the cherishing can't get in. We miss it because the narrative has become so uh, negative and dark or protective in some way. So Metta kind of clears that away, like clears those cobwebs off. She said, I was surrounded by this bountiful quality, but I did not know how to receive it, how to take it in. And she said she looked at the state of her heart. Um, I was really shocked uh, how, um, how powerful and strong, relentless my inner critic was. It was shocking to realize this inner voice had been guiding me my whole life. And a lot of us, when we're practicing mindfulness, we start to notice that this critic has been guiding us our whole life. It's always there, right? As I gradually got the basic meditation down, I took a good look into my heart, and I found it was small, leathery, and contracted. Mm -hmm. I just love that description. <laughs> small, leathery, and contracted. It's a good question. What is the state of your heart? Where is your heart? Um, I could tell you that my heart 
was defended. I had security guards in front of it with uh, machine guns. <laughs> I did. I was so defended uh, walking around. Um, you know that saying, um, did your mom ever said, what do you think? I have eyes in the back of my head. Well, some of our hearts are so defended, they're defended front and back. There were eyes in the back of my head, you know, that waiting for the wrong thing or the attack. And with good reason, we come by it. We come by this um, very, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking for the word, we've earned defended hearts or leathery hearts or shrunken hearts by our experience. Uh, many people in this room and out of this room do not have safety in their lives. They've difficult paths have been walked, right, in more ways than one. And so we come by this honestly, the shape of our heart. It's not like there's some, we're flawed. Life is difficult for many, many people, and many challenges exist. So she said, I was shut down a lot, and I was in no position to give metta, loving kindness, to anyone. And so over the years, I could see little by little, my heart was growing softer, more open, and more alive. And she said the way uh, Metta started going for her um, was she could just feel her breath, and with every in-breath, she could see the good. With every out-breath, she could see the good. And sometimes we just do, need to do meditations on seeing the good in us and others, and breathing kindness into ourselves, you know. And she said, she practiced with one phrase, may I be well, may all beings be well. May I be well, may all beings be well. And she walked around and practiced that. And that became a doorway. May I be well, may all beings be well. So, you know, going into a store, an office, a bank, your home, may I be well, may all beings be well. So traditionally, um, the way we do metta in a traditional form is you pick, you, you go through different people, different categories. One is the benefactor, someone who's given you, nurtured you, been a mentor, teacher, or given you unconditional love. And that could be a pet, it could be a spiritual figure, uh, an author or a teacher, a grandparent, a relative, right? And it could be a friend in that category. And then it goes to the neutral person, the people that you don't really notice or see. And um, those are usually people in the background that you're not picking up. And just practicing that is a game changer. Anybody practice that? Yeah, Meta for the neutral? Okay. You begin does anybody want to say what that does to your mind and body? It's yes, a very please. simple example, but for some reason one day I picked this guy at work. He's a staff member. I see him, but don't really feel one way or another about him and started saying meta for him. And I don't know, a couple weeks later, he was coming down the hall. There's a group of people. And I'm just, oh, hi, it's so good to see you. <laughs> and he's probably like, what? <laughs> like, but I just felt this like warmth to see him, and yeah, it was just kind of fun. Yeah. Anybody else? 
Yeah. Um, for me, it really solidified that like we're, we are all connected. Mm-hmm. And it's just that like okay, I really know you. I don't really necessarily know you, but then once you start having that meta, you're like, oh my gosh, and start looking around, and it's like I'm connected to this tree and this dog, and you know, like every single person mm-hmm. here. So, yeah. Anybody else? I, Lars. It's a very specific thing. But I feel better in traffic. Mm-hmm. Like, Beautiful. Everyone's yeah. doing. Everyone's, everyone's got their own thing to do. Yeah. Uh, like it's like that's not about me. We're all doing this. Like, it's okay. You know, it's just a little thing, but it's something I notice. When you practice like that, everybody is your friend. Mm-hmm. It it warms up. It warms up everywhere. I'll take the morning walk, and there are the construction workers mm-hmm. come in early, or the gardeners, and uh, I'm like, hello. <laughs> 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 but it's a great way to start the day. Everyone, you know, every construction worker, every gardener, everyone walking the dog, the dogs, hi, you know, mm-hmm. it's the world opens and everyone becomes your friend. Yeah. I recently had been to a lot of funerals at Catholic churches, and they do this thing where they stop at, at some point, and it seems like they all do it, and they turn to anybody yeah. around you and say, peace be with you. Yeah. And I found that that, that was great. I love that part of the, that <laughs> little memorable thing of the whole deal. <laughs> yes, beautiful, beautiful. So yeah, go, go into a store or a fast food restaurant or, or a bowling, anywhere, and just see the people that you don't see and give them meta and that boundless friendliness starts to happen. It's a lovely practice. Okay. And then um, the more difficult one is the difficult person, which we practiced a little bit with on the retreat. And um, some of the comment I got was people picked a difficult person, and we the instruction was not to pick a too difficult person. You know, someone between zero and five, not the one between five and ten on a scale of one to ten. But people would start to visualize or imagine this person, and then the wound would appear. The ache or the ouch would show up. Well, that's mindfulness doing its job, telling you how you really feel. Sometimes we don't know how we feel. We're brushing aside our vulnerability uh, and our, our emotion. So the mindfulness showed us what we were really feeling with this person. And um, so then there were a few people that said they couldn't do the metta toward that person. And that's fine. That's where we stop and take care of this tender heart and do the metta for the heart that's hurting because that's where we are or a compassion practice. And then after that, the, the best one for me is the metta for all beings unconditionally everywhere because uh, it can just radiate as far out and go as far and wide as it's needed, or you can pick a troubled spot. So, um, so a couple of more um, of, of some of what the nuns said, and then we'll practice the metta together a little bit. Obviously, we'll do that. Um, ah, she said, don't push your heart to do more than it's ready for. Never demand that your heart open. Never push it more. And I, I know um, when I started the metta practice, it was all gung-ho. I'm going to do metta in the car driving. I'm going to do metta in the office. I'm going to do metta for everybody I know. And uh, I like to call it uh, metta Monday and desperation Tuesday. <laughs> it, you have to build and go slow. It, you can't push your heart. Don't push your heart. 
Um, and the last thing that she says, well, there are two other things I'll say real quick, and then we'll practice it. Um, she says, how can you have metta for yourself when there isn't a self? Because mm -hmm. in Buddhism, we teach that non-self. Uh, so why are we doing metta for ourselves when there isn't a cohesive, permanent self? And she said, metta isn't really for yourself. It's for your mistaken identity of yourself, <laughs> right? We have that harsh, deficient sense of self or this grandiose sense of self that knows everything. It's all mistaken identity. We're all, um, at that point, we're identifying with a part of our psyche that is taken over that may not be exactly truthful and accurate. <laughs> Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So she says, metta softens up your sense of self. And when or if you have difficulty saying, may I be happy, may I be safe, you can direct it to the body and the mind. May this body be happy. May this body be safe. You know? May this body and mind be free of suffering. May this heart be free of suffering. And you could take the eye out. <clears throat> it's perfectly fine. And the last thing that I want to say from the book is, um, she says, in the suttas, the Brahma Viharas are described as boundless and unlimited. I just love that word, boundless. Boundless, wow. And unlimited. And she said, um, the way we experience the, the Brahma Viharas as boundless and unlimited is by letting them in to our experience and not limiting them. Um, so, in other words, she's saying, bring your practice everywhere. Unlimited practice, unlimited. You can bring it, it's portable. Anywhere, everywhere, at all times. Come back to your beautiful heart. And I know this to work for vulnerable moments, um, difficult moments. I know this to work. Uh, when we got up to the retreat center, <clears throat> I had that moment of five days of teaching. Like, <laughs> you know that moment? Like, you know, deer in the headlight? You know that moment of, uh-oh, right? How can this work? And that metta can carry that moment, you know, to put your hands on your heart and to breathe a little and say, you know, may it be free of this suffering, this suffering. You know, that little voice that went, oh, no, you can't do this for five days, right? <laughs> you know, you're not, you can't do this for five days. Not, no, no, right? May I be free of this suffering in this moment right now? May I be free to bring the metta to your edge right to the edge of the ouch and the ache. So, so we'll practice together. If you want to take up posture, and I will use the metta from this book a little bit to guide you. A short practice. So this is from um, Aya... Ananda Bodhi. This is her writing. She says, if you don't know where to start or you can't feel anything, 
try putting your hand at your heart center. And as you put your hand to your heart center, breathe into your heart. Take a couple of breaths into your heart and stay for a while and let your heart soften and open. So it's just breathing with the heart and making contact. So breathing with this heart, feeling the heart center. And when you're ready, you can call to mind a person or an animal that brings a smile to your heart. And when you feel your heart smiling, then breathe into your heart's smile and give it more space. So you could visualize that person, that precious being, the animal, a sentient being, and feel the warmth in your heart. And then breathing into that warmth, giving it more space, and more attention. She says, let it grow. Let it expand. Until you can really feel the quality of this metta in the heart. And if you can, you can shift to just being with the quality of metta itself and letting it radiate outward. So as you let that metta radiate outward, expanding it and letting it saturate this room filled with beautiful beings. And if in this moment your heart feels too guarded, let the breath wash around your heart. Let it be soothed by the gentle rhythm of the breath. And take that moment just to recognize that the mind is not in control of all of this. Be patient. Give it time. And silently, we can repeat some metaphrases of loving kindness. And you could direct this metta to a loved one, a loved being, or the people in this room, or all sentient beings, wherever your heart mind go. May your heart be radiant and warm. May my heart be radiant and warm. You and I together, may we experience the warmth and radiance of the heart.
May you and your body be kind friends. May my mind and body be kind friends. May you and I experience kindness in body and mind. And may we live like a prayer flag, grounded, yet flexible, light, yet resilient. May I live with peace and ease. May you live with peace and ease. And may all beings live free of suffering. So this is the poem she ends her chapter with, and it's called Mita, Friend. Um, and it's from a book, The First Free Women. And these are the um, nuns, the early nuns around the Buddha. Um, and this is a poem from them. Full of trust, you left home and soon learned to walk the path making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end. And I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.